So, so wait a minute, Claire. There'll be consultation that will actually involve <laughs> yeah, consultation. Exactly. Funnily uh, enough, are, are you sure it's Q and A and not Q and on? Because this sounds very, very <laughs> I'm suspicious. Un- yeah. I'm suspicious. Um, no, you but have, it was just you get so online and you'll end up owning timeshare. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryomalt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryomalt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and they are our proud sponsors. And they're proud sponsors of this. What's this? I hear you asking. Well, this is Brews News Week, our regular wrap of all that has made news in beer this week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me to take a good hard look at the news, the views and the issues are the founder and editor of Australian Brews News, Matt Skynet Kierkegaard, and ace reporter and senior journalist, Claire Sarah Connor Burnett. Hey <laughs> guys. Only in Terminator 2, though. Not Terminator 1, Sarah Connor. No, okay. no, no. The good, the good Sarah The good Connor. one. Okay. okay. I, 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 I never remember the first... Um, you don't want to. It's rubbish. Okay. So yeah, that was a, a, just a, a very broad shout out to... Um, I was wondering uh, where that came friend from. ...friend of the program, James Davidson. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, who described you was, uh, yeah... <laughs> Skymat. <laughs> yeah, well, it was. It was a bit free because uh, now, for anyone who doesn't know or isn't in, in the Facebook group, um, Bright Brewery turns fifteen, and I think we'll be talking about that in the news, Claire. We, we yes. Shall, yes. Um, and I was just asked to do a bit of a video um, for their night celebrating it, and so it was part of that. <laughs> in the Facebook group, there's this photo of this giant me head um, <laughs> above the silhouettes of all of their heads, and it, it, yeah, it was a, a little bit freaky and confronting even for myself. So it was a pre-record or? It was a pre-record, yeah, yeah. No, it was um, just something that I, that I sent through because I was very lucky um, very early in my beer writing career when I was sort of writing about I was actually writing about food, travel and lifestyle generally and writing for in-flight magazines and uh, car magazine so I got to do this regular gig for Lexus magazine where I would head off for three or four days in a brand new Lexus through some lovely you know, oh, it's it's all right for and some getting minute. paid for it you know <laughs> listen yeah. to you it's <laughs> like a Monty Python sketch um, <laughs> then, uh, and it just worked out perfectly so there was a period when I'd nearly been to every brewery in the country because they happen to be in a lot of the you know, wine regions and stuff like that. And so, and there are only 10 of them then. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, but, well, in 2008, there was still a bit of a brewery trail. And so I, I got to Bright when it was literally what, you know, a, a, a small shed and I met uh, Scott and Fiona and the, the um, other couple who were the uh, original founders and when the kids were young and just had this wonderful experience in this beautiful place. And I highly recommend everyone do the high country brewery trail once you can get to back to Melbourne. But, uh, yeah, and so I was able to talk a little bit about that, but, you know, without any, you know, word of a lie, Bright are one of those breweries that you really want to see more of. Huge part of their community, really giving back, huge focus on the environment um, from the business side, but then from a consumer point of view, it's just, you know, adds to the amenity of your tourist experience. So, yeah, yeah I was very yeah. thrilled. And a genuine that. part of the community as well in terms of the... Bicycle, mm-hmm. you know, the, yeah, the mountain biking. Yeah, they everything, yeah. <laughs> Claire's article, like three or four staff. Yep, four, had- <laughs> four people broke their collarbones, bless <laughs> it. Because we were talking about how everyone really likes the life, um, outdoor lifestyle there and, you know, that's the kind of people they attract to the team. And he was like, yeah, but then sometimes it can be a disadvantage <laughs> because half of them are off. I think someone ended up breaking their arm or their leg or something like that mountain or biking. ribs or something, <laughs> mountain biking. And he was like, oh, yeah, it comes with the territory. <laughs> I was like, oh, Scott. <laughs> that's it. You just kind of got to accept that. That's, yeah. that's just 
that's just part of the thing. That's yeah. It. Now, and just before we get into the news, Pete, uh, just in Obita, um, just to open the conversation, two weeks ago we did uh, Dollar Bill um, conversation, and you've been giving a lot of recommendations, um, Pete. After that chat, and I'd just not seen Dollar Bill beers available up here and hadn't had a big experience with them. You, you After, won't find them very far outside of Ballarat. Oh, God, not when they're making 14,000 litres. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. But yeah, so I, I jumped online and bought um, just a four pack of about the only thing that was left on their website, which was their sour ale. It was in cans, four pack of sour <gasps> yeah. ale with barrel eight. Was it the barrel aged one? With the Pinot, uh, Pinot, yeah. uh, and it was just superb. I, you gave me one. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that because that was stellar. What a nice beer. Oh, good one. Uh, again, not not just sort of plugging the beers of conversation. Go back and listen to the Tony Harper um, podcast talking about bread in beer and sour beers and how they've got no sense of place. The subtlety and elegance of that beer and, you know, it was just lovely. So, yeah, no, it was very, very exciting. So, uh, shout out if we can see if we can... Mind you, they also... Uh, they've already won a trophy for one of their beers. So, uh, we, we, <laughs> Yeah, that's all right. Kind of like <laughs> they the don't reverse. need us. yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. And, um, and, yeah, so congratulations again to Bright. Hey, a shout out to your, um, your premiere up there as well. Anastasia must be sitting there this morning going... We paid $8 million for that shit show. <laughs> I didn't watch it. You know. Oh, no. Shout out to all our Queensland viewers up there. As one of the very few uh, Melbourne Storm Foundation members who uh, nominally follows the Blues. Um, yeah, it, was, it wasn't a bad game. Although anyway, I did see there was some discussion. It was discussion. supposed to be in Melbourne. That was the whole point. Just, you know, I'm not a huge league fan, Pete, but I, I did see somebody shared a tweet where Alfie Langer had been asked whether the modern Melbourne Storm team, um, if they played the, you know, 80s Broncos, who would win? And Alfie sort of said, look, it, it, uh, Brisbane would win. And when he was asked how much, he sort of said, oh, I'd be, you know, close, two to four points. <laughs> and it, the, the interviewer sort of said, why not more? And he goes, well, most of us are in our 50s now. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> a cheeky little sod. Oh, on it's, it's an old gag, but a good idea. Anyway, um, yeah. we've got a lot to get through. So now we cross live to the Australian Brews News Media Centre for a wrap of the stories making news this week in beer. And Claire, Mighty Craft gets a little more, well, mighty. Mighty, <laughs> it indeed. So um, we saw that Mighty Craft went into a trading halt yesterday morning. And then uh, an article in the AFR came out that it was buying Mismatch Brewing Co. Um, so the Adelaide Hills Group, which contains Mismatch, the Adelaide Hills Distillery and Hill Cider. We kind of knew this was coming. Minecraft have alerted us to the fact in previous sort of financial accounts that they were going to look to acquire further uh, breweries, distilleries, etc. Um, so it's an interesting one that they're going for another South Australia. I think the only other South Australian one they have is Spark. Spark, that's I think. Yeah. yeah, that's the one. So on their Monopoly board, I think that's what they needed to get the set. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so deal worth $47 million altogether, um, but it was broken, unfortunately, by some loudmouth brokers uh, who brokered the deal and got it to the AFR. So I don't think Minecraft were particularly pleased with that one. Um, but I'm <laughs> talking to Mark Hazeman later today, so we'll um, have more information on that. Uh, and to be fair, I think we would have found out eventually. I think we would have. Well, been. we would have. Once there's a trading halt, and there yeah. had been some rumours swirling around, as there Lots always of rumors, is. Um, yeah. So, you know, we would had heard a couple of things. Because Adelaide, uh, sorry, Hills. Uh, what's Adelaide the, Hills the, Group. Adelaide Hills Group uh, also has uh, Juice or Cordial. Yes, um, the name of and, it. And, and, a, cider, they've got and a winery. There's five, five altogether. Yeah. Ashton Valley Fresh. 
that's the other one. So th- yeah. th- it's quite a bit there. I'm very keen to find. Well, and and that's the thing. Like you can't really get an indication of what a brewery is worth, given that it's a consolidated business model um, that they've got. And I think they've even got apple trees. I think they've got. You know, like it's a. I, 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 it's, a I think. it's a whole thing, and it's yeah. a big tourist venue and things like that as well. So it's got lots of different income streams and different. Um, fingers in different pies so it's not just a straight up brewery but yeah that seemed it was quite a lot 47 million i would have thought yeah i met um i met owen last uh during good beer week uh he was uh, one of the guests at, at brewers and chewers and, and just a terrific bloke um and ex young henry's i'm gonna say from memory i think mm-hmm. um and yeah, obviously, I, I assume you know he was he was fairly guarded. Did I, I you know had, didn't give any sort of hint uh, as to this was happening? But I assume that he he would have would have known. But he said, yeah, the, the the whole thing of these five sort of brands under under one roof. My impression is that the skill set that Mighty Craft will bring to it will, um, I guess, realise more of its potential. Definitely. So we'll keep an eye on that. Mm-hmm. Very keen to find out what the production size of Mismatch is as well, because mm. it's you know it's one of the issues with um, the Mitercraft model is now that they've got investments in so many breweries, the way that they're going to get efficiencies because they they do talk about the synergy that's going to come from in the AFR article they do talk about the synergy that's going to come from um, Adelaide going into the Mitercraft business model. It'll be the the, the back end stuff, but there's got to be synergies in terms of the unit cost of beer coming down so still waiting to see where you know some of these breweries in the mighty craft empire are going to get their scale from which is going to bring their unit cost down if they have to invest in you know seven or eight breweries expansions and capex and things it's going to be a very inefficient expensive uh, process but you're going to save money because you're now buying, you know, ten tons of malt instead of two tons of malt, mm. for example, or like presumably you can get savings there. But anyway, plenty more to get through. Um, a story that we sat on for a little while, and we're bringing up this week: uh, crisis comms clear in the spotlight after social media misstep. Indeed. So uh, it was about two weeks ago. Um, you may have seen that Stomping Ground put up a pot for shop campaign offering free beer for people who've had a vaccination. Um, And then they didn't seem to be entirely prepared for the insane fallout from the anti-vaxxers. Predominantly, I believe, over in the US uh, or globally rather than in Australia. Um, But it was an interesting one for us because we didn't want to sort of sensationalise and point out and, you know, go, oh, look what Stomping Ground did. It was very much more like a, right, well, this is an issue and, you know, this is something that breweries have to be aware of when they are communicating um, campaigns, especially when they're related to social issues. So I spoke to um, a PR and comms expert from Griffith University, um, Dr. Monique Lewis, and she was just like, you know, you have to be prepared for this kind of thing. If you're going to do a social media campaign based on something that is potentially a really controversial um, social issue, you are going to have to be prepared for the fallout. And I don't think anyone was disagreeing with or didn't like the stomping ground campaign necessarily lots of other people have done it in the US Um, other companies and other sectors are doing the same a similar sort of thing over in Australia it wasn't the campaign it was the way it was dealt with they took it down very quickly um, and then they didn't communicate with the media so I think everyone was a bit left like well what do they really believe and for me personally I think if you are going to use a social issue to sell beer or promote yourself then you should either provide a platform which you on which you can Uh, facilitate conversations about that issue or you should be prepared for the fact that there's going to be a fallout and considering that Melbourne went into lockdown 
what two days after this mm. um you know it kind of would have been <laughs> quite beneficial to something ground to be like yeah see we we kind of were backing this whole thing beforehand um, yeah. instead uh, of taking it down as, as i mean as you said it was a teaching moment sort mm-hmm. of case that you know we we weren't commenting so much on the issue itself but looking mm-hmm. at you know what breweries can learn from it um and it you know it it was very interesting because there was a, a massive seemingly coordinated campaign and when you go and look at the social media the, the the people who were commenting in their comments and then even when they took the post down just attacking random other comments on the stomping ground um instagram feed when you clicked on them the messages were all the same you know they, they had this they, they were people whose social media feeds were filled with anti-vax and anti-establishment mm-hmm. commentary so it seemed very coordinated and a lot of them weren't even in Australia. It just got shared with like global anti-vax groups on Facebook, mm. and then they all just piled on. And it which makes the makes the calls for I'm never going to drink your beer again ring just a little bit hollow. <laughs> yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure that stomping around are going to be materially affected by that. And in the moment, it would have been very hard to sort of say, you know, is this like is this a coordinated campaign where people just are gunning to shut us down or shut down this campaign, or is it something that, that can negatively impact our business? You know, in in hindsight is everything and, you know, we, we didn't know that Melbourne was on the verge of a, mm. a lockdown and a massive uptake of vaccination. But, um, yeah, like, it, it, I, I, I think, you know, I initially thought it was a great thing for Stomping Ground to say, let's, you know, support vaccination. Um, you know, as a, as a hospitality business that's affected by COVID, you know, as all of these things, we've seen businesses around the world do it. Um, and it was just such a shame that they were targeted. But I guess that was what the yeah. article was saying is if you're going to meld, you know, if you're going to walk into these issues, you need to be prepared. And have your responses ready for the detractors and for the supporters and for the media because, um, interestingly, Stomping Ground didn't talk to the media after this. They just ignored any comment from the media, which worked out it worked for them. Out well for them in, yeah. in, from, a, from a business perspective, what they wanted, the objective was let's stop talking about this and so it worked but from a sort of conscionable point of view maybe it didn't ring quite well for me that one however Steve Jeffers um he did comment on this article and very kindly of him um got involved and said you know told his side of the story Mm. um hopefully he knew that we weren't gonna you know point the finger and everything um but we just wanted to raise that as an issue that the industry should be aware of they're very good op- like that's the thing stomping around very clever guys very good operators mm-hmm. and but I just on the point about the media and how responding to nothing worked mm-hmm. I actually think it worked in this case because the depth of outrage over the campaign was a mile wide mm-hmm. and a centimeter deep so it wasn't something that had broad you know if, if it were if, if they blundered into an issue that had very deep community concern. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that technique of not answering the media would have worked. It, mm-hmm. But it was just, there was, once they'd taken the post down, the anti vaxxers were a coordinated campaign. Mm-hmm. There wasn't that depth of feeling mm-hmm. that saw the, 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 the story yeah. linger. Which says a lot about anti vaxxers, really, doesn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, that'll do the job on that one. And uh, all, all emails to claire at bruisenews.com.au. <laughs> Crap. <laughs>
Uh, somebody who's used to dealing with fallout because they've sold off a few breweries, but Lion <laughs> selling major assets from closing West End. Yeah, so this is one that Matt covered last week. Um, obviously, we knew it would be closing the West End Brewery in South Australia, and now it's appointed a plant closure firm to sell off its major assets, which could be a good deal on account of them having a, a $70 million refurbishment in 2015. Um, so we'll see how it goes on that one. Not, obviously, not we kind of expected it to happen, but I think someone else made an interesting comment as well about, I'm, I can't remember if it was on the Facebook group or the page, um, but someone made an interesting comment about how valuable the land on which these older breweries are and, you know, if they can outsource to yeah. somewhere. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I, I am. Comment? I'm just trying, well, it, it, like the line Brewery in um, Milton, so it's now in a city, mm-hmm. but when it was built there, it was an outer it was the outskirts, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. And you know, breweries were traditionally built. Abbotsford in Melbourne is is exactly the same. When it was built, it would have been so far away from the city, mm-hmm. and you know, their cities have grown. These old infrastructure, you know, are, are incredibly valuable. And it, I mean, it must be because that brewery, when it was opened in 2016, or was refurbished five years ago, mm-hmm. 65 million dollar, you know, Braucon, um brew house, Ooh, you know, they, they, nice. those would, yeah, and because. They had Jay Weatherall. Now, I'm sure there was a little bit of um, interest on the figure that they were putting because they love to say we're investing in the community. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the figure that was put on was $65 million investment. So that's very valuable land. And, and the, the interesting thing was I was reading an article that when they were closing it, they're giving the land temporarily over for an archaeological dig. Oh, cool. Because I think the original brewer or um, – is it Captain Light was – Involved in founding, I don't know, but yeah, yeah. William Light, William Light, one of yeah, the discoverers of Adelaide, or one of you know the founding fathers. And I, I think the brewery was built on the side of his cod, um, Colonel Light. Colonel Light. I'll, I'll see if was. I can find uh, um, the the put put a link in the show notes. But yeah, so it's it, it's fascinating. So, um, but yeah, very 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 sad to see an iconic brewery um, closed and just sold off. But the, actually, the other thing is good on them for um, actually selling off the kit. Um, so it'll be interesting. To well, because at the moment too, I think with a lot of people would be jumping at any kind of brewery kit because there's significant delays. I think mm, with international yeah. shipping slowed down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So the second hand anyway, market's going to be an interesting. Mind you, I think yeah. Stone and Wood are looking at expanding, and from memory, they're doing a 200 hectolitre um, kit. So this is a 500 hectolitre commercial brewery. Oh, okay. So yeah, the market for that is slim. Yeah, yeah. So, that, <laughs> so for our home brewers listening in there, it's uh, Lion. You all want to pitch in. So, so a lot of breweries in Secondhand Brisbane. Secondhand sales at Lion.co. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of breweries in Brisbane are constrained to produce 200,000 litres on their production, you know, mm-hmm. because of movement, <laughs> that would be four brews on this thing. <laughs> so you'd hit your unit, your annual production uh, targets in <laughs> like four brews. Weeks, yeah. You could probably get just about every other brewery in South Australia, their yearly output, just to prime the pump <laughs> on that thing. <laughs> That's crazy. It really gives you an idea of scale. When We laugh and we have a, we have a joke about it, but that scale is just... Mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Uh, and the fact that they can afford to do without that yeah. particular facility says it. a lot. Mm. Anyway. Well, um, and about ooh. the loss of – which is incidentally why, you know, like CUB are able to take on um, brews production and things like that. So yeah, they can just squeeze it in. Um, <laughs> speaking of uh, wins and investment, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Um, Claire, private label beer is on the rise after AIBA win and investment. Indeed. Uh, so we've had a few interesting movements. We got a press release the week 
last week um, about a lo- big range of craft beers um, brewed by Tribe and I believe won by Good Drinks, uh, Gage Road's parent company. And it was just interesting because not only have they invested in more craft beer lines for their sort of pseudo craft brewery brands, but they've, um, on the other side, uh, Coles Liquors Tinnies uh, also won quite a prominent award um, at the AIBAs the other day. So we the sort very of... first uh, non-alcohol Yes, that's the one. The first, that's the one, yeah. Um, so it was really interesting to see that the private label beer that we've written about previously is sort of making waves. It's being bought. It's something that um, somebody as big as Endeavour Drinks would invest in. Um, and we've discussed previously about, um, you know, the, how good the margin is because they obviously get to um, take all the profit from that. Don't have to go through a middleman, a.k.a. a brewery. Um, so just buy it from Tribe. Um, it's a really interesting space because, um, you know, and I think a lot of people were quite up in arms about it when we posted it on Facebook um, because a lot of it is, uh, they're like, well, is it craft beer? What do you count as craft beer? And yeah, they're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, we we'll put that below the fold, Below the fold, yeah, because there's a great we? chat around that. Yeah. yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but that, I think you might also find there's a, another brewery partner that, um, that brews the award uh, trophy-winning uh, <laughs> beer for Coles. Yeah? I think so. Now, as we intimated in our introduction... Uh, Bright Brewery, still resilient after 15 years, Claire. Hmm. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, we alluded to this one in the intro. Um, Bright Brewery, they opened their um, venue and brewery in 2006, um, and they've obviously been through all sorts of shenanigans since, bushfires, pandemics. They've seen the industry grow to the point where it has done now. And I spoke to Scott Brandon and uh, Laura Gray, who were um, marketing manager and co-founder the other way around um and they were lovely they had a, some great stories um they talked about the industry and how they see it and where they want to take bright they invested in a new canning line they're looking for distribution outside of victoria apparently 85 percent of uh, bright beer went to victoria prior to covid um and now it's spread out every other territory and state except the northern territory um so they've got big plans in the works and i think it was just a really interesting discussion about um how to future proof your business um what things they thought made them have that kind of longevity uh, and a really nice learning article as well for anyone who um aspires to that kind of longevity as well great article too by the way like a, a, you know when you're reading your own publications articles mm-hmm. and you really enthralled by it you know it's, a, you know, <laughs> it's like, acceptable yeah no no no, no not ex- it's, it's more <laughs> than acceptable you. but thank yeah you. like and, and you're learning stuff mm. um like that's a, a it's a real pleasure well done thank you a couple more to get through and claire this time uh, tasmanian cds uh, opens for consultation <laughs> now i only put this one in everyone because it's a stark contrast to the other container deposit schemes we've seen so the tasmanian uh, cds open for public consultation now that was announced just over the weekend, um, just gone. And they have webinars. They have an actual webinar where you can go and do a Q&A and discuss with the Tasmanian CDS scheme what's going on. So, so wait a minute, Claire. Are. There'll be consultation that will actually involve <laughs> yeah. consultation. Exactly, funnily <laughs> enough. Are, are you sure it's Q&A it's and not Q&A? Because this sounds very, very... I'm suspicious. Un- yeah. I'm suspicious. Um, no, you but have, it was just so You get so online surprising. and you'll end up owning timeshare. Oh, God. <laughs> Anyway, it was just Amway. so surprising. I was so surprised. Um, and yeah, kudos to them. I mean, I'll have to, I'm going to have a chat to a few Tasmanian brewers to see what they think about it. Um, but obviously in other states we've seen it's gone terribly wrong or they haven't involved key stakeholders or they've done some quite major um, 
data leaks, I want to say. Um, there's been issues, basically. Um, but the Tasmanian one seems to be a little bit of a model for how it's done. However, if anyone disagrees with that, if that's not the perception they have of it, do let me know. Um, Claire at bruisenews.com.au. Matt's already said it, but just <laughs> let me know. Um, but yeah, that, that was the main reason for putting that one in. So yeah, keen to find out more on that. Although, don't email her next week, Claire's on holidays. Yeah, I'm on my holidays. <laughs> <laughs> we can, but it'll go to Matt. <laughs> so definitely so, don't email. <laughs> yes, and don't send your Indies entries uh, to Claire because she'll be on holidays also yeah. because she doesn't accept them. But <laughs> entries are open for the 2021 Indies, Claire. They are indeed. Um, so opened up and they will close on the 9th of July. The Indies Awards ceremony will be held on the 1st of September at the uh, on the Sunshine Coast at BrewCon. Um, so... Get your entries in now. And uh, get on to Brucon, where you'll see the Brews News Studio. Yep. Yeah, back to, so last year, of course, was packaged only and judged in hubs yep. around the country. Yep. Uh, so hopefully back to some sort of uh, normal. We'll yes. um, hopefully be able to, you know, fabricate something that looks like, oh, speaking of fabricating, oh, um, yeah. support for this episode comes from <laughs> Scar Fabricating. Uh, they build reliable automated packaging line equipment that's handcrafted to make life easy for brewers and their production team. So if you're a brewer looking for the best way to get your product out of your tap room and into the hands of your customers, Scarfab has you covered. So they've got depelletizers, custom conveyance, date coating, rinsing, drying systems, the whole Megillah. Scarfab specialises in helping breweries of all sizes get their beer from keg to can. So to find out more about how Scarfab can help you sell more beer, visit www.scarfabricating.com today. That's SCAR with an S-K-A, fabricating.com, to get started today. And we thank them for their support. That's it for the news. So if you have to go back to work, do all that stuff, off you go. Thanks for uh, your company. <laughs> Thanks for your interest in the news of the industry. <laughs> exactly. That's right, and catching up. Now we're to back. Go to the website and <laughs> just read the stories. Just have us read them out to you like a bloody children's book. <laughs> Bedtime story. Clock. Uh, at the third stroke. <laughs> That's right. And now, welcome to Below the Fold. And we'll start off with Mailbag. And thanks to New Zealand Ale Trail, uh, we bring you the mailbag. So head to www.nzaletrail.com or at NZ Ale Trail on all the social media stuff to find the best beer experiences in New Zealand as soon as the bubble opens. Because I think... If, as a Victorian, I think the bubble might have popped again, tempor- <laughs> at least temporarily. That's okay, Pete. We'll send you a postcard. Thanks for that. And, and uh, yeah, uh, last week we were talking about the good luck that um, Gabs had had. And then I think about 10 minutes after I'd logged off, saw that they'd had to postpone Auckland because the, they can't guarantee the uh, containers are going to get there in time. Yeah, just with that logistics worldwide is just completely screwed. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. Apparently, there's a shipping container shortage. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, wow. one of the well, because they're they're all basically stacked ten high on every port that were you know like, didn't they have to kind of empty all the ships when everything ground to a halt, I and then you've got to think so, empty them th- and get them back. And one of the big things was the. China, this is completely below the fold. <laughs> yeah, where did you So China exports from? something like 10 times more to America than America exports to China. Mm-hmm. Um, so and it's one of the biggest trade routes. So all of there was a real backlog of shipping containers in um, the US empty because there was nothing going back. And so do you send a, sh- mm-hmm. a cargo ship filled with empty containers back or – and, you know, apparently there's a – it's affecting well, there's everybody. a George Hodson type opportunity perhaps opening up there, Matt. How do you mean? Well, that's the, the part of the the um, the broad 
canvas that is the story of the original India Pale Ale. Uh, oh, oh, right, got you. Got you. Oh. Okay. Uh, George Hodson saw these <laughs> okay. ships. These ships are going, you know, bringing all this, uh, you know, spice and silk and stuff from India, but they're going back empty. Have you? Uh, here's my opportunity. Martin Cornell's um, yeah, endorsement. Never actually happened, but it's all part of the. <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's all part of the rich history. Did you see the really angry post that he posted about another historian who was a friend of his? No. Um, in you know, talking about the difference between porter and stout. Um, I love low level. Yeah, I like I'm, I'm just not game to write beer history um, anymore, just in case it comes across his. Desk. Well, you're right. You just send it to Martin first to, <laughs> <laughs> to, to prevent it, like a it's like an ABAC thing. Martin, if you're listening, that's Pete at brewsnews.com.au <laughs> to correct that little bit of history. No, I just said I, I said that it's part of the conspiracy. It's part of the rich tapestry that that is the story, but it's not necessarily the uh, the fact. Yes, objects may fact. appear more accurate in the uh, than, than they appear in the mirror. <laughs> That's right. I will give you a fact, though, first of all. Rowling's label stickers and packaging are able to not just supply labels for your cans or bottles, but they can also supply printed or blank cartons. They can do can trays, tap decals, barcodes, shrink sleeves, and they're already applied to beer cans ready for filling. The cans come to your door palletized and ready to fill. Nothing more to do. So give the guys a call on 1300 852 235 to discuss further. I think that's all their contractual obligations out of the way now, Matt. Don't forget, too, you can review us on iTunes, uh, send us in an email, make a comment on any of our socials and all that sort of thing uh, to be in the draw for the letter of the week. And you can also join our Facebook group, which is a lot of fun, and up to 650 members now, so cranking along. Uh, Just search Radio Brews News and use the password Soapbox. And you get Um, better dividends than if you invest in some crowdfundings. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Ooh. Just just by sending us an email. Did he go there? He definitely went there. <laughs> oh, no, he didn't. Um, now, speaking of, we, we talked a little bit about uh, private label mm. uh, stuff um, yep. and an interesting comment there from um, Claire from Paul Bowker. Indeed, yeah. So from, Paul from Brick Lane. That's the one. This article touches on so many different issues the industry is grappling with. Thanks, Paul. I know. <laughs> um, what is craft? Does independence matter? Truth in labelling, distribution channels, market concentration. It's undeniable that retailers, and not just calls and endeavour, are increasingly pushing into, into private label and not just in beer. It's interesting, though, because he's, and Paul's really fair about this one, I thought. Um, he said the more good experiences consumers have with beer and craft beer, the more craft part of market grows and the more room for all of us. Uh, one angle that would be better um, is the quality of private label beers and the better experience um, resulting in more consumers entering the category and exploring deeper into the craft and indie space. And obviously, you know, they do have private label ranges, but they are limited and you'll see them in the bottle shops still a ta- reasonably small proportion of the amount of actual independent craft beer. And Paul continues, uh, retails will support beers that meet sales hurdle rates and also deliver good margins. Indie beers can win on both of these and have done so on the back of interest, quality, innovation, sense of community, personality, and all the other things that make indie beer great. Um, consumer demand can also be filled out not only from the majors, um, talking about remodeled stores um, like Dan Murphy's in South Melbourne, but also through independent banners and specialist chains like Black Arts um, and Sparrows, Black Sheep, Carwin, My Beer Dealer, etc. Um, direct-to-consumer brewery-led tap rooms, etc. Private label, international brands and indie beer can all grow and coexist as long as we can continue to grow the size of the overall market. And I think that is the key bit being able to grow the size of the overall market. Um, but it, like he said, it did bring up issues and people were very argumentative about what is craft? Does this count as craft beer? Well, it's one of those, conv- <laughs> you know, yeah, like I mean, 
15 years ago, the debate was all, what is craft? Mm. Um, and now independence comes in. And, you know, it was interesting because Andre San Martino, who's someone who I always enjoy mm-hmm. hearing and reading his points of view, but there was something gut reaction about Cole's private label stuff. I, I think we all default to that instinctively. But then when you look at it, you're sort of going, well, Brick Lane makes awesome beer. So, you know, awesome craft yeah. beer. So, so it you is know craft. The quali- it'll be you know the quality that comes out of it. They make craft beer for a whole lot of small independents. So that's good because it means that these small independents can get their beer out more widely in very, very good condition as an awesome facsimile mm-hmm. of the beers that they're making themselves. That's good. Um, a lot of those independents then sell their beer in Coles and Woolworths, which means it's more available to everybody, mm-hmm. which is good. And then you sort of suddenly go, okay, so... I get that I don't like Coles making beer and cutting out the small independent brewery, but does that make the beer bad? You know, because mm. there, there's no, and I use the word transubstantiation, you know, when you're talking about the wafer, you know, being blessed and turning into God, mm-hmm. um, you know, or part of Jesus. Um, you know, there's nothing miraculous that happens to beer just because it's anointed with the indie seal. And, you know, when, when you break down that chain of ownership or, um, you know, at what point does a Coles beer become bad? I, I can enunciate my views that you know the, the the big retailers are interested in capitalising on a trend. They didn't invest fifteen years ago in developing that trend. They're always a little bit responsive. It was the small independent brewers who were the ones that took the risks and challenged. And you're seeing other businesses come in now and reap that reward. But even there. You see a lot of contract, exclusively contract brewed brands, named after places or you know things that are doing exactly the same thing, and are just see it as an opportunity, um, and aren't necessarily investing heavily in the industry either. And they've got the indie seal on, and people are rallying around them. So it's a really complicated debate that I think is more a visceral, emotional re- reaction. As soon, that as soon as you intellectualise. You start having troubles following the, you know, understanding exactly where that emotional attachment comes from. Mm. And then we all go out and buy a bottle of wine, or we buy, you know, private <laughs> yeah, label from mate, seltzer. <laughs> well, no, but whatever it is, and and we're, you know, I wouldn't know, you know, what biscuits or what butter or what, you know, other grocery items uh, a private label. You know, am I cutting out a small farmer or whatever? Who knows? At the end of the day, you know, as long as I guess the beer is good. But that's also where... That's as got to a, be the most important thing. You know, like outwardly, I find it very hard to criticise them um, because, mm. again, like if you're relying on the Indy Seal, I think, that, you know, there are a whole lot of beers carrying the Indy Seal that are just very, very small versions of mm. what Coles and Woolies are trying to do you know, in terms of not necessarily invest in the industry, but just, mm. hey, I like this idea. You can make some money in beer. I'm going to slap my vanity label on yeah. a beer and sell it without actually investing in... The, the skills, or you know, and yeah. at best, filling out a bit of capacity for a small brewery. But that's where you know, as a consumer, as we keep saying, Pete, inform yourselves and the dollars that you spend. Make a vote about what you think matters in the industry. Um, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly, and do what we do, and um, you know, share the information, and so that people can make informed decisions. Um, speaking of leading into uh, related, uh, the whole independence thing mm-hmm. and we had quite a bit of chatter on the Facebook group about did, um, yeah. Mighty Craft 
there did seem to be some confusion about yeah. uh, what how, how you claim the independent. That's it. Because Steve Hodkin on the Facebook group said, um, can someone please explain to me how the microbreweries remain classed as independent? I was sitting in Foghorn with some mates at the weekend with the independent seals splashed everywhere and I explained the business model, ASX listed, etc. They looked at me puzzled and said, hardly independent then. Interesting because... Which shows that people don't understand. Yeah, well, it's, what the, the what indie the seal is determined parameters. by the IBA. So the IBA puts the parameters on what an independent brewery is. If mm. you're talking about like the Investopedia um, description of an independent business, it's someone uh, a business where usually the owner, the founder, retains control of that business. And therefore, that does cut out ASX-listed businesses. It cuts out people that are owned majority by private equity or anything like that. Um, so technically, those are not independent under the old-school business, you know, academic-type description of an independent business. However, yeah. you have the the indie seal is determined by the IBA, so that's something the IBA has to work around and think about if that's the case. It, why would that benefit them by cutting down a load of people as well, though? So I suppose you've got to think about it from that perspective. Like they'd have fewer members and fewer potential members. And it's a cap- like <laughs> again, it's one of those things that surely we want small breweries to expand and you know, not just be well. I can only get this awesome breweries beers in Brisbane when I tra- or when I travel to that small country well, town on my you know holidays. Yeah. Um, and if you want to get that experience, if you want to get that, which is a whole other discussion, but. Breweries need capital. Um, you can go to your bank and <laughs> could I borrow a million dollars to expand my brewery? Or you can, you know, equity crowdfund and could I have $15 million for my brewery that's worth, you know, a couple of bottle caps? Um, and <laughs> and a t-shirt, man. And a t-shirt. <laughs> no, sorry. Or, or 20%, 20%, yeah. 20% can, off can I have first 15 paddle. million? Yeah, can I have <laughs> 11 and a half times earnings, not EBITDA? And you'll possibly get it. Or you take capital from someone who also provides background and logistics and things like that. And you now, still, the clearest explanation for why independence matters, or the, the clear for the independence, is looking at the level of control that the big breweries always exerted over the marketplace in a duopoly um, market. When you look at that, that's where independence matters to provide viable alternative businesses to counter the size and the scale of the big duopoly um, who greatly influence the choice we get in in market. And for that to actually be, you can have a whole lot of really, really, really small ones that even the ACCC says, you know, don't shape the industry or you need some viable competitors who can actually shake up the industry. And, you know, to get the capital for those sorts of things, you need, you know, privately listed, um, you know, publicly listed companies and the the, um, Mighty Craft buys a new brewery, they just put out a capital raising and suddenly they've got $20 million. That doesn't happen, you know, at a very, very small scale. Um, so Just on that too, Matt, just with Mighty Craft, and I need to sort of go back through the books and, and the articles, but they don't necessarily go and buy a brewery. In some, Particularly in the early days, weren't they buying a percentage of yeah. and then they offering the yeah. service? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're investing in it in the same way that, uh, you know, the three of us get together and come up with a great idea for a brewery and then 10 of our listeners, you know, tip in, tip money in and yep. one of them tips in, you know, 25%. That's yep. that's kind of the Mighty Craft model. It's not mm-hmm. Although they have upped and- their um, stakeholding in a number of breweries to be the majority stakeholder. So that it's and that's the other thing. It's not the same with every brewery in the mm. Mighty Craft portfolio. So you can't say 
all Minecraft breweries are independent or they're not independent. Exactly. The, yeah. Each case no, is point. completely different. And, and I was at Slipstream uh, celebrating their fourth birthday on Saturday, which is a Mighty Craft brand. I don't know what percentage they've got. I think it's up getting up to almost 50% or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I vaguely remember and, that. And again, Deal and Alyssa, who are the partners, uh, you know, who, who are the founders, husband and wife, um, <laughs> the first three years before Minecraft was involved, Deal always looked incredibly harried and under the pump, and he looks <laughs> like he's actually enjoying being in the business now. Yeah, um, you know, it, it just he gives. I haven't spoken to him about it, but he looks much more relaxed than quite often I'd seen him when I visited the business. And they've had this expansion, and it was heaving with locals and kids, and you know. Oh, it's uh, a lovely venue. It's a lovely yeah. venue that is, and a lot of that wouldn't have happened. Um, you know, go back and listen to the podcast that we did um, a couple of years ago, where you know I, I think the brand um, <laughs> you know, they they spent all their money on stainless, and mm. you know, like the original Slipstream logo was like ninety nine designs. You know, one of those <laughs> in- internet people where you just sort of go, look, oh, quick, I, I need it. a brand. Yeah. Um, oh, and now the brand, and it looks so smart, and mm. a lot of that has come from the expertise, and you know. It it, it 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 it's awesome. Um, incidentally, I, I think I've given two soliloquies um, today about. Uh, I love the comments that come back in from. I'm not a business journalist. I'm a you know sort of beer writer, and I've learned a lot just from observing them, my observations. And I love the calls that often come in after those, where people who know business much better than I do, um, or have contrary viewpoints, email or write in um, or just phone. They're great discussions and I find them incredibly informative. So, yeah, I, I don't hold myself out as a business expert, just my observations. Mm. Uh, and just jumping back to the one that I skipped over because I thought <laughs> those two were related, um, but Ryan Lumby in the Facebook group, mm. um, which was a, a follow-up, which was good, because uh, I, I was, I'd was i forgotten about this one, Two, uh, two Bays Brewing, um, following up on results of a beer they did for charity with contributions listed uh, to the dollar. Great to see, as not all charity beers are this open with the results. So uh, Two Bays did a uh, – supported the Australian music industry, which obviously was very harshly affected by – COVID in terms of not being able to do their thing that they get paid for, but also many of them uh, not being eligible for various grants and assistance. So uh, just under 10 and a half grand from, oh, um, from selling two bays beer. That's, that's a, a pretty good, and, and great for them to accountability. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, to yeah, say, like that. yeah, here's, here's the result. That's it. Yeah. So sorry. I thought I'd just throw that back in because I, I jumped to, to Steve Hodkins one because it was related to the independence um, chat that we were having, so and yeah. they was the two bees lager the one you were posting about, Pete? It was. One? That was, it was a good one, wasn't it? I like. That um, as I say, the, the the first impression was that uh, mm-hmm. you know ABEC's going to get onto this, and I need to speak to our <laughs> very good friends at Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging because they're going to need to relabel this because I'm not convinced they've sent me a gluten free beer. <laughs> Which is um, just a test. And that's the first time. Like, yeah. I've had gluten-free beers that I just haven't enjoyed and I've had mm. beer, uh, gluten-free beers that I thought, that's a really good, like that I enjoyed that beer. Mm-hmm. But there's always been that, just a little note of whether it's, yeah. you know, sorghum or millet or buckwheat or whatever that just has that, mm. it, it just lacks that in the same way that, well, that's a good non-alcoholic beer, but you can taste what's missing. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was, at first sip, I've got, I, I honestly had to check that I'd um because uh, I was prepping, right prepping dinner, I thought, oh, hang on, geez, I've taken a photo of this and everything and I've, I've, I've opened the wrong one. Uh, but that's, that's how genuinely uh, good I, th- I thought it was and, and was and was worth was worth mentioning. And, yeah, uh, yeah Christian Martin uh, is the brewer there at, at Two Bays and um, 
uh, oh, I've lost my words again. Um, so I was going to say Steve Jeffers, but it's not Steve and it's not Chris. Uh, Richard. Richard. No, yes, no, that's Chris. it, Richard. Yeah, Richard. <laughs> it's Richard. I'll go through the family. I'll get him eventually. <laughs> Name the dog and everything. Um, but he said, "Oh, you know, did, keen to get your feedback." And I said, "Oh, mate," I said, "You know, Christian bailed me up. Um, he was very keen to, but he was a few beers in. It was just after the uh, the uh, ARBA awards, uh, and I you know, and he was stoked that um, that I'd said the same thing. So I think I think this one's his baby. In the past, I, I think too with gluten free beers, lager's always been that one." And I'm not saying it's a fault, but you know how it's very hard to hide a fault in lager. And if mm. if there's a taste there that you're not normally associating with lager, um, it's very difficult to. Yeah, it's way more obvious to get it? it right. Mm. Yeah, and so for, as I kudos, if you're looking, if you as I say, I don't do beer recommendations, but mm. if you, uh, yeah, but if you're looking you'd like for to sponsor Pete's beer recommendations, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> beer of the week. Oh, love it. Thanks to. Insert your business name here. Um, no, I'd be open to that. But this one was, as I say, exceptional. And, and particularly for those who are looking to uh, avoid gluten, um, you know, that's a great one. Obviously, the O'Brien's range, the 10 gold medals or whatever they hold, there's some decent decent beers there. Anyway, uh, onwards. Also going for a crowdfund. You see that one? O'Brien's. Uh, O'Brien's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. It'll be interesting. Rebellion we'll see, we'll, have, we'll keep an eye on that. Hey, Pete, mm. just suddenly re- looking at the time, you've got a flight to catch in um, half an hour. <gasps> Don't <laughs> rub it in. Thanks for that. Oh, that's And hello horrible. to all our friends over there at the WA Brewers Conference. I won't be able to attend. I won't be hosting oh. the Royal Perth Beer Awards. Beer and- Cider Awards. Right, just oh. for those who are following at home, um, I booked Pete to go across to Perth and because the ticket came to me, Google Calendar automatically spies on my email and inserts it in and I just suddenly got a warning saying that my flight was coming up in uh, 15 oh, minutes. Oh, that's so pants. sad. Yeah. Never mind. They'll have, they'll have a ball. Yeah, it'll be brilliant. All right. Uh, Anything else? Um, yes, we've had a few comments on the podcast I did with Kylie. We haven't actually. We haven't talked we about that. That should have been no. in the news. Congratulations. I, yes, thank you. Thank you very much. And do you know what? It was quite a difficult one because uh, it, it's just so hard. And like, kudos to all the women on the panel. They were amazing, and it must. I, I felt for them for the the pressure they must be under, not only as women in the industry and wanting to do something right, but also in their second role as, um, you know, leaders of these industry organisations. Um, that must have been such a hard line to walk um, for them, and I can't even imagine how it is for everyone else in the industry. Um, but it was interesting because I think it was definitely one that people were going to, like, sort of sit back and have a think about because um, Joe posted in the Facebook group and we initially didn't get much in return and I think everyone was just having a think about it and um, Wade Curtis, um, hi Wade, lovely Wade, um, who's dipping his toe back in the beer industry after having left it. Um, I think he's working a little bit at Catchment now. Um, he says, great work, Claire. Thanks, Wade. Um, I've witnessed sexism in hospitality and brewing. To be honest, when I was younger, I probably contributed to the problem, not physically, but in my words and other actions. I've called it out at different workplaces and it's uncomfortable, but this behaviour happens when good people don't do or say anything. I think the lack of discussion on this post is interesting in itself. Maybe everyone is busy watching football. Um, I, I think it's more of a especially because we'll have, um, and I have to say, we do have a lot of men in the um, Facebook group. Um, I think it's very much a case of people not wanting to say the wrong thing or if they don't feel that they have the authority to say something on that. Um, 
as men in the industry or um, men that are craft fit beer fans and all that kind of stuff it is a tricky one and nobody wants to get it wrong and I think that comes from a good place a place where people don't want to hurt anybody else or be offensive or whatever and I think that in itself is all good um but we also had another comment from Rob Stewart, which was lovely as well. Um, there are a few things that got me thinking, especially considering an interview I've listened to with Brianne Allen, who was the uh, production manager at Notch Brewing, who started the whole thing in the US um, by posting women's stories uh, on Instagram. And Rob continues, uh, both in Australia and New Zealand, we're in a great position now with female heads of the IBA and New Zealand Brewers Guild to push for an industry commitment to stamp this out. Brienne referenced the main Brewers Guild in the US that put this in place uh, with breaches leading to expulsion from the guild uh, for a brewery. And that's really interesting because that has some real world consequences, something like that. And I'm sure the the IBA and the Brewers Guild are thinking about it. They do seem to be quite thoughtful as well. It's not just a knee-jerk reaction from these organisations, which is to be um, commended. Um, Rob also says, I think it was TIFF that raised that there are no breweries in Australia and only Garage Project in New Zealand that have actually made a statement. And that was one of the things I asked on the um in the conversation like should we all be going out and saying you know oh well this is terrible absolutely shocking we should we would not put up with this in the industry all this kind of stuff and actually doing a public statement and the only one that I've seen um apart from the garage project one was Karina Steeb um at Prancing Pony and that was very much a personal one rather than necessarily coming straight from Prancing Pony as a business um and she talked about her experiences in the industry and all that kind of stuff and I think everyone seemed to agree that people should be making a statement but I'm still not so sure like like we talked about on the thing you know it's something that we should work out internally and it should be a focus of listening to what is going on and wider discussions about inclusion and diversity and things like that rather than necessarily coming out about this specific issue especially because it initially started as a very US focused industry but anyway Rob continues um, I'm hoping we'll see um, brewers from the IBN New Zealand is a oh he's hoping that we will see um, a commitment for an industry code on this so everyone has the same action plan and responses for issues that are raised with sanctions or penalties for breweries who deviate from these and I think that's a really good one as well because we made the point in the podcast that you know breweries are small businesses they might not necessarily have a HR function um you might end up just working with um, one or two people in potentially in a business like that um, with maybe casual staff or something like that. So it can be really difficult to implement these kinds of things just on a purely labour type intensive thing. Um, but there are lots of things that these organisations are working on in the background um, to try and encourage that and talk about these HR issues and make sure that breweries and their employees are protected and in a good space and there's just ways that you can have recourse for any issues that are going on in a business. And that's just professionalization of the industry. We're going to see more of that um, as we get bigger. And, you know, and I think that's a definitely a positive thing. Um, so thank you, Robin Wade, for, for weighing in. I know it's a tricky one um, and nobody wants to sort of stick their head above the parapet sometimes. But, yeah, really appreciate your comments on that one. Yeah, no, and very brave comments. And, you know, I, I didn't hear, um, as Claire knows, the discussion all of it was her her work. I didn't hear it until after it was published, um, and then I got to listen to, to to the finished thing. And I just yeah, I, I, I thought there was a lot that people should be hearing during that discussion, and still a lot more work to do. But uh, on that last night, the Brewers Guild of New Zealand um, posted to their Facebook page. Um, the Brewers Guild and Pink Boots New Zealand are collaborating for a safe and inclusive brewing industry. You can find a range of resources and tools, and the plan 
uh, of our collaborative work on our website. In oh, the past fantastic. weeks, uh, we've seen significant allegations of sexual harassment and assault starting out in the US brewing industry. While allegations have not been shared as publicly in New Zealand, we know that we are not immune to the issues. Sexual assault and harassment is never acceptable. We also recently saw racism rear its head in our industry. Collectively, we took a strong stand against that incident, but there will always be more work to do. So um, there is stuff uh, there and yeah. That's awesome. And like we said on that um, the podcast, um, this is just the start of it really or even just a continuation of things that have been going around in the industry for a while and to have something codified and um, have some guidelines I think will really help Um, so we'll watch this space and we'll obviously cover that um, as the IBA and the Brewers Guild and and other organisations invest and and promote that Um, so we'll we'll have their backs on that one. I forgot a couple of weeks ago to give a shout out to a good friend of the program Jason Summers who was involved with the IBA uh, for many years uh, looking after the events and things when they were based out of Newcastle. Um, so I've got a letter from him that I'll, I think I passed it on to you, Matt. Oh, um, uh, about the distillery. Yeah. Yeah. Claire's working on that. So. Yep. Um, oh, that and that in itself is the Newcastle distillery one. Yes. yes Newcastle distilling. Oh, lovely. Um, yeah. That was an interesting one because um, we've heard breweries and other businesses wanting to do crowd funds um, to invest in their marketing or, um, get some new tanks in or whatever. Um, but this one was a distillery that wants to actually uh, open a separate business, brewing business, um, which is really interesting. But yeah, so hopefully we'll have something on that in the next few weeks. The guys have been really busy, so they haven't been able to get back to me. Um, but we'll definitely have a, have a go and have a look at what's going on with them. They've already sent us an, another interesting turn of events. Uh, they've already sent us the, I think they've already sent us the investment documents and things like that, haven't they? Have you got the, were they attached to that email? Offer documents uh, and stuff. Do you remember? Yeah, CSF. Offer, there we go. Yeah. CSF which, offer. Brew Still Proprietary Limited. Which is interesting because we haven't had that from many others who weren't really willing to share the, that kind of thing with us at this ah, early so stage. Maybe, maybe so, li- yeah. listening to Brews News, ah. people are now learning, oh, you know what, <laughs> if you want to do a good crowdfunding, you need to not do this, you need to do this. So maybe, <laughs> maybe. we're serving a purpose here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who knows? Anyway, um, <laughs> we should uh, take me back to the top of the page and thank Cryer Malt, Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging, uh, Scar Fabricating and New Zealand Ale Trail. Now, don't forget, uh, so comments, we do love your comments and all that sort of thing. If we mentioned you for the... Or read out a comment for the first time and we don't have a contact address, please uh, send us one. So that thanks to our good friends at Thirsty Merchants, we can send you a bar blade. We can. And yeah. bar blades have been going out regularly. We're catching up. With Just the, remind, with remember to send us your address as, as people yes. have been doing. Yep. Uh, and T-shirts. How popular are the T-shirts? Have we still got some left? Yeah, we still we've still got, got uh, shirts left. left. All right. So you can get your T-shirt if you haven't got it already. And we're working on some other ones as well, aren't we? Uh, we'll, Which will yeah, be fun. We, we will will be. We're doing we're doing brand extensions already. Ooh. Mm, just call us Shelter. <laughs> Professional. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, have a good week, guys. You too, Pete. I'm Cheers, planning Pete. on it. I'm going to go out and uh, yeah, see if all the rubbish bins have been uh, righted. <laughs> oh, all the rubbish bins blew over last night. It was so oh like, the, the wind was just uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolute, <laughs> it was a bit hairy, so to uh, all those, particularly those in the in the hilly areas, stay safe. Because um, uh, yeah, and I think there's three, just under four thousand calls to the um, state emergency service down here for um, calls for assistance for trees down and uh, roofs off and all sorts of stuff. So take care of yourselves. Anyway, uh, that's all for Bruce News Week for this week. Uh, what are we up to? Three hundred and twenty-two episodes. Mm. Wow. 
Uh, so thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much to you, Matt and Claire, for your contributions. Thank, Thank you, Pete. You. Thanks again to Cry Malt, to Rellings Label Stickers and Packaging, to Scar Fabricating and to New Zealand Ale Trail for making it all possible. I've been your host, Pete Mitchum. Until next week, drink fresh, drink local, drink independent if you want. Look after yourselves and each other and wash your damn hands. And we're out. Boom. Don't forget, if you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. You can also review us on iTunes or whatever your favourite podcasting service happens to be. Let us know what you think and help others find and discover our shows. Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive in return, as by way of thanks, a Brews News bottle opener. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because, as you may have heard, beer is a conversation. Beer.